Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of QSR Uncut. I'm your host, Danny Klein, editorial director here at QSR. And so, you know, I've kind of noticed a theme lately, at least it seems like at the start of this year, we've done a lot of podcasts that are not only about technology, which has been the case probably since the 70 plus episodes we've been doing, but we've also now been talking a lot about what to actually do with some of the insights that you get with all the information and tools out there now to really unlock a lot of information. This has been a industry run on the uh, gut of operators for, for many, many years, but Thankfully, now I think there's a lot more to go off of. So with that said, introduce today's guest, which is Rachel Buss, Director of Client Services at Curion. I think I pronounced Buss correctly here. It's uh, got two S's. <laughs> does, that, does that sound close enough, Rachel? Yep. It's like school bus, just with an extra S. Yeah. It's probably fun growing up. Uh, it's uh, when, when I was naming my children, the only thing I wanted to do was make sure that I didn't give them names that were hard to spell. But um can't choose your last name, though, I guess. <laughs> Technically, you can. I married into it. My maiden uh, name is Stedman, which is harder. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's easier to spell, and I'm sooner in the alphabet. Right. That makes sense. Happened with my wife, too. But, um, okay, cool. Well, first of all, I'm going to open the floor here just to give you a chance to introduce yourself. Um, a little bit about you all do at Curion and your role, and we'll take it from there. Yeah. So, uh, my name is Rachel. I've been with uh, director with Curion for four years now. Um, in my past life, I worked at Kellogg specializing in sensory as well. So I've been doing product testing for about 15 years now, uh, spanning CPG all the way now to where I specialize in QSR. Um, I've been with Curion, who is a uh, insights provider that specializes in product and packaging full service research. Um, we love our full service um, state-of-the-art uh, facilities, as well as our robust group of highly smart uh, insights professionals who love digging into the data and helping our clients find the best information. Right. So I think a, I think a good place to start, I mean, we're kind of still, fe- it feels like the year just began, even though it it definitely didn't, but you're talking about a little bit about trends um, that's been on the minds of a lot of people. You know, the NRA just released their annual report, the Restaurant Association, but people listening, uh, not the uh, NRA as uh, you see a lot of times in headlines. But yeah, there was a lot in there about menus. I think the QSR menu space is, is always pretty interesting. There are some brands who like to talk about it, you know, some who maybe don't, but what are some things that you've been seeing you know, just that have really been kind of, you know, front and center, you know, so far this year and seem to be big trends going into the rest of the year? I think top of mind um, is that the chicken wars are alive and, and still running. Everyone's chasing the holy grail of the ideal chicken sandwich and how you can create it and how you can sell it. Um, so that's always, you know, up and running. I think with supply chain, we're seeing a large... Um, kind of behind the scenes menu work where people are trying to keep quality high and yet change out ingredients where they can just because of cost pressures or whether or not you're looking at ingredients that suddenly stopped being available. Um, We're also seeing on the QSR side, um, you know, a a reinforced focus on productivity because, you some clients are reluctant to push out 
a new product, when you have a high rate of turnover in restaurants, when you constantly have new people coming in, it's really hard to um, constantly bring in limited time offerings, constantly changing the menu and assure quality um, when you have new people kind of rotating in. So I think once that starts to fully stabilize from a staffing perspective, um, we'll probably see a, a broader return to LTOs. Yeah, so, so there was a lot to unpack there. I want to start with the chicken sandwiches. Um, I think like anybody in this space, I went through a, about a six-month period there where I could not escape it. <laughs> Just in terms of writing about it, of course, you know, one of the great things about writing about food and being in this industry is that something like the chicken sandwich wars benefits all of us. <laughs> you know, it's not like it's a, a bad topic to kind of be embroiled in, but I mean, where where really has that gone now? I mean, I think it started, a, you know, at least in my view, really from Popeyes, you know, in, in terms of not only the social media battle that they started with Chick-fil-A, but also just the fact that the sandwich was really good, you know, and I think if if you go back in time, as much buzz as they created with that, if it had been a bad product, nobody would have cared, you know, it almost would have been the kind of a, just a flippant sort of moment in history, but it lasted as long as it did because it was just a really good sandwich. Um, but what, I mean, where, where is that now in terms of brands who are trying to keep it going? Um, you know, what is sort of the winning strategy right there at the moment? I mean, I think there's lots of different perspectives. Um, after Popeye's, uh, Wendy's relaunched all of theirs, Burger King launched theirs soon after, um, so I think you're seeing um, more restaurants that are maybe more traditionally not chicken. Um, so places that do a lot of burgers also trying to figure out how do they do chicken? How can they get into that space? How can they compete? Um, so there's a lot of understanding the space and how it exists today and where the white space is and how can you compete and be competitive. So what do you think about the uh, quote-unquote fake chicken? I, I think I've, I've only, well, I guess you've seen a lot of uh, big QSRs launch this, you know, mostly a nugget form. <laughs> you know, KFC, I think, is, is the one that comes to mind. You know, and then you've got Chick-fil-A now testing a cauliflower um, sandwich, which is, you know, a different sort of spin on plant-based, but not kind of fake meat, but... You know, what do you think about that world? You know, to me, it's um, it was really big in quick service for a minute there, you know, especially with the Impossible Whopper. But then it kind of faded a little bit, you know, into the background of what was happening, but still very much, you know, on the minds of a lot of brands and consumers. I think there's a lot of interest in the general idea Um I want to eat healthier. I, you ask me, I, I'm going to tell you I want to eat healthier. Am I going to pay for that when I'm in the moment jonesing for a really good chicken sandwich? I think that's yet to be seen. Um, I do know that places have cauliflower wings on the menu as well. Um, I haven't seen any data on how well those are, are selling, um, but Chick-fil-A must have had some sort of information in their back pocket to, to go forward with what they have. Um, I think time will tell and it all just kind of depends on how things fall out costs. If you even look at impossible, which has this unique place in that it's food service because it sells into QSR, but it's also in retail. 
Um, you know, we've all seen the news with impossible uh, cuts from an employment standpoint, layoffs that they had, you know, a couple of months ago. Does that, how much do you read into that on how well their business is doing and how it's playing into QSR? I'm, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, um, I've, I mean, I, I consider myself of the, of the movement, well, at least within the quick service space, of a little bit of a healthy skeptic. I don't, uh, I, I just think that it's, um, I, th- I think there's a lot of evidence out there that it's a great trial product. I just don't know that we have a lot of evidence that it's a great repeat product, at least not yet. You know, I think a lot of people go to places like Burger King and they say, wow, you know, that's different. I want to try it. But are they really going to Burger King to, to you know, to eat healthier? Um, I think that's a, a question that a lot of, you know, some of those, the brands, at least in that part of quick service, um, you know, not so much fast casual that are asking themselves, you know, do we, because you had all these launches, they break records, the amazing social media, but what's kind of, what's kind of the next stage that people come back and get it again? You know, it's, I have questions about that. I think time will, will un, unfold it for us, but. I think you see that around the industry right now and probably in Chick-fil-A's case of why they elected to kind of create a, a vegetable product like that. You know, I think it maybe fits what they're trying to do a little bit closer. But we'll see. We will see. So I have a question um, just in terms of Curion. Tell us a little bit about the type of insights that you all provide, because I think operators, at least when I talk to them a lot of times, that it isn't they have tons of data, but they're trying to figure out what are the right questions to ask. I mean, how do you help them cipher through all of this? So we do lots of things. Um, we do product testing. Uh, they re- we recently launched our, our Curion Score product, which helps you understand um, on the most basic level, is your product good enough to launch? Um, it really helps you understand trial, not necessarily repeat since that's all um, marketing and pricing and other things that kind of build into that. But um, I find in a lot of my past lives, when a product fails, uh, the first place people blame is the food. Um, so we now have that product, Curion Score, which helps you understand um, is it the food? Is it good in comparison to the total product category um, from Curian's really robust uh, historical database? Um, we also do in-market testing. So I've launched stuff. It's in test market. So we do buyer response surveys to help you understand now that it's left the gold standard of our culinary chefs what happens now that the people in market, in the restaurants, the franchisees are making it, how well is it performing with consumers? Um, So we've got a great robust program that explores that. So that can explore product. It can also explore changes to the menu, physical menu boards itself. It can explore um, changes in packaging. Um, So we really can help our clients from start to finish. Um, I'm also really excited. We just um, have started to embark on some really interesting research to help a new client figure out how to win um, in burgers. Um, mm-hmm. So we're doing this really broad um, research for them, helping them to understand current state, understanding the white space, and then we'll help them do some co-creation work to figure out future state, um, which is really fun when you get to interact from start to finish and really see where a product goes and hopefully gets to market in the end. Yeah, I'd be interested to see that one because um, I, t- I remember talking to a burger operator many years ago and they were 
saying that they, you know, they spend so much more money on the quality and they had no idea how to get credit for it. <laughs> you know, hopefully they figured it out. This was like six years ago, but um, I'll never forget that just because I remember thinking, you know, it's a good point. Um, you know, I guess it had a lot of it comes down to the menu and what you write and how it looks and what your price point is. And if that's okay with whoever's eating there. So, I mean, walk us through a little bit. I mean, we're talking about kind of testing a product to know if it works. I mean, how complex is, of a process is that? I, I imagine there's a, probably a lot more steps involved there than maybe the regular person might imagine. It is ridiculously complex, honestly. <laughs> Coming from my past life where I specialized in CPG company products, where it was pour the cereal into the bowl and serve. Um, now we're in a completely different world where I get the opportunity to um, work with my clients. The chef team is coming into the carry-on facility with anywhere from five to 10 of them at a time um, to help prepare the products um, and serve them to the consumers. So you end up creating very interesting um, testing designs. Uh, from a statistical standpoint, a lot of uh, really easy products to serve. You can do complete block randomized designs. But here I have to base my serve rotation based off of how many products you're serving at one time. Um, essentially, we are spending eight hours a day thinking about or performing or asking the team to perform like it's the busiest rush hour, lunch rush hour um, for eight hours straight just churning out product 25 people at a time where all 25 have to be ready at the exact same moment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sounds difficult. Um, I've, I've always wondered, you know, when you see some of these uh, market tests, how they choose the markets they go into. Um, someone, someone asked me that recently and I said that it, I thought probably, of course, they look at the demographics and what might clo most closely resemble a national attempt at it, but then also the operators in those markets probably play a role there too. But, you know, like you'll see, um, like when Chick-fil-A is doing the cauliflower, they're doing it in Greensboro, North Carolina. It's about an hour from where I live. And there's, you know, someone said, why there? <laughs> you know, and I don't know the answer exactly, but, you know, kind of to what you just said, the amount of things that go into this is, is a lot, you know. And then you also have to take into consideration corporate stores versus franchise stores, who's right. willing to participate, um, the distribution channels, supply chain. It, it's quite um, a logistical challenge that's really interesting to work on. Yeah. And, and you mentioned earlier a little bit about kind of the supply chain part of this and the efficiencies of very um, top of mind. I think it's, it's an interesting topic in QSR because a lot of times the menus aren't really designed to be able to swap things in and out like they might be at a independent restaurant. I mean, what are, what are some of the challenges that you've just seen on that front or the data that operators are looking for to kind of help them, you know, maybe work their menus around some of this? I mean, if top of mind, um, avian flu, bird flu, all of that stuff has really impacted the chicken market. Um, and that last year or the year before, wings were so expensive. There's only two on a chicken. So it makes sense to that ex extent. Um, but if you think about um, 
Wingstop how for they had a um, a short term promotion where they called themselves Thigh Stop temporarily, yeah. um, so, you know, really highlighting there are other pieces of the chicken um, that they can sell through, or how can they even manipulate the different types of meat that they're using in a tender or a nugget or in a sandwich, um, just so that they can keep a, a very high quality product, um, but still make margins. Yeah, I, I enjoyed Thigh Stop. <laughs> but but they do great. I mean, they're they're just awesome in the way that they market everything. They so also get, recently joined the Chicken Wars um, and they right, sold out, yeah. I believe, in like four days or something like that. Their their stock, it was, you know, yeah. white past. Yeah, and, you know, their whole thing was basically, I remember the headline, you know, 20 flavors or whatever it was, and it was, you know, basically like they could take the whatever wing sauces they already had in the back and just put them on whatever sandwich they were serving. <laughs> so again, yeah. again, it was a brilliant sort of, uh, it was almost like a Taco Bell-esque type of move of taking, you know, X amount of SKUs and turning into 5,000 different things. <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, again. Shop just, in the pantry, why not? Yeah, for, for sure. I, you know, and I haven't heard how it's been doing lately, but I'm, I'm sure it's it's fine. Mm-hmm. It's a funny thing, like when things sell out in Popeye's case, for a good example, you know, sometimes I wonder, like, did they sell out on purpose? <laughs> you know, because, <laughs> because the exclusivity nature of not having the product is almost like launching it twice, you know. Um, the whole Nick Rib principle. How many times has that been continued, discontinued, restarted? Yeah, I mean, they, they just retired it, right? Which nobody believes. So. Right, but they really retired it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I haven't had that product in probably 20 years. Um, it was one another one of those things that I feel like we all try as Americans, but I don't I don't know that I ever actually wanted it. <laughs> not, not to knock it, but, like, I don't know what it is. Um, but anyhow. So you, so you, I guess you started before the pandemic – um, I'm just kind of interested, you know, when that all happened, you know, how did the innovation process change? Because, you know, in some ways, operators got more nimble, they got quicker to innovation, they didn't really have a choice. But, you know, LTOs, I think you brought up a little bit before, you know, those those were probably didn't happen as often there for a while, you know, and I think even now they're they're coming around a little bit differently, since there's not a lot of discounting going on with some brands. But yeah, what was that like when that all happened from Curion's perspective? I mean, how did operators really lean into you and, you know, how did that all just change for you? I think it was really interesting in that at first there was, you know, worldwide, there was just like a freeze of how is this going to go? What's next? Um, should I be doing research now? Is Are the responses valid? Um, is the world going to snap out of this in six months and I'm going to regret all of the research that I have just completed? Um, so, you know, there was a little bit of a lull, um, and you couldn't do in-person testing. Um, and a lot of business was also, um, in, in stores was done via intercept. And even now today, intercepts, true intercepts where I'm walking up to somebody with a clipboard barely exist these days. It's all now gone digital. Um, you also had saw, um, the rise of third-party apps, third-party delivery, Um, So now you have this larger question of how is my product surviving now that they're no longer the person picking it up from the store? Are my fries making it to delivery? Um, 
Are they soggy? Are they crispy? Um, you know, is what is happening once I lose control of the food? So we saw a lot of lean in from a um, exploration from uh, third party apps. People have ordered our product off of DoorDash, off of Uber Eats. Um, how are our ratings taking a hit or not um, from that aspect? You also saw a lot of drive through work. Um, less concern about what was happening in the physical restaurant because people weren't going in. Um, a lot of people couldn't sit down anymore. Um, so how did that change things for people? Um, and then just from like a pure research methodology perspective, uh, the transfer to digital. So whether or not it is doing um, my buyer response surveys, doing online surveys, as opposed to intercepts, whether or not I'm doing um, the version of QSR shop alongs where people are taking me on that journey, recording all the videos, doing on the online surveys, rather than me walking with them side by side and watching them experience it. Um, everything went digital. And honestly, it hasn't gone back to analog, um, which is actually, I love the approach of digital. I love the videos. People say the darndest thing on cameras, let me tell you. And you learn so much more um, from my perspective than, you know, if I'm sitting there staring at you eating. Um, so you get a totally yeah, it makes, different makes sense. It does. It totally makes sense from that perspective. And everyone has their phone in their hands at all times. Um, and we're all doing videos and TikToks and things like that. So no one's shy on the camera anymore. Yeah, that's that's a valid point. I, I feel like it's you disassociate yourself with the world. <laughs> you know, the because people are so different in like their social versions of themselves and sometimes they are if you meet them in person. And from a researcher's perspective, I never really thought about how that might affect how you gather data. But it's a very good point. You know, and I, I think an interesting one was, you know, I remember early on, you know, with QSR, I mean, a lot of it was bundle meals and things like that. You're trying to serve people so they don't have to make multiple visits. But then there was also this comfort food movement. Um, it was like people wanted things that weren't really healthy because they were, you know, made them feel familiar or whatever it was. Has that, do you think that's continued? I mean, does it seem like people are coming off of that a little bit, you know, in their lives? I think we're going to see a resurgence in the pivot of the value meal. What yeah. can I get for the best buck as we head into, is it a recession? Is it not a recession? How much am I going to have to start penny pinching? Um, people are really starting to watch their dollars. Um, and that definitely plays into their food choices. Yeah, I think you're right. I'm, I'm personally just interested in what is a value menu now. Um, what it, like what price point is it? Is it now five dollars? You know, of course, I don't think anyone anything is a dollar. I don't think, I don't no, think, I don't think that's ever coming back. Um, you know, if someone launches it, it's going to be for the novelty of it. But that that day of that sort of that tiered value at the dollar point is probably gone in QSR. I still see. Um, I mean, the five dollar foot long no longer exists. As far as I can remember, but I think I'm still seeing like two for five of sandwiches or snack wraps or things of that nature. So, I mean, there are still dollar values that I think are, are sweet spots. Um, even though we're fairly cashless society, many people don't have a $5 bill anymore in their pocket. Um, so is that as meaningful? I'm not quite sure. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, it, that's, it's a really good question. I don't know the answer. <laughs> I, I, I think, um, I mean, it's, yeah, $5 foot long definitely doesn't exist anymore. I went there the other day and it was $19 for a foot long and a drink and, a, and chips. And I was just like, I had, I do not know what just happened. <laughs> they revamped the whole you know? menu and now they're trying to sell. Right. I, I know exactly. It was, yeah, it was, I hadn't been there in a while. So I was like, oh, I'll get the number 11 or whatever it was. And yeah, it came out to be $19. And um, yeah, it's, but, but to your, you know, to your point, I think there will be brands who come across the other side of that fence for the purpose of not being on that other side. <laughs> I just, again, it's going to be interesting to see, I think the, you know, two things for X price or is it $7 or, you know, what happens now? It's going and to be very what, interesting. Your point, what is a value meal? Does it have to have a drink? Does it not have to have a drink? Is it just, is it two sandwiches and, and that's it? Is it a whole fries sandwich drink? Like there's all these different combinations. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. I, so many people now just get water. I actually did a podcast uh, with someone else about this. <laughs> You know, and they were talking about like, how do you fight the water cup, like to get them to actually order a drink, you know, and it's a challenge because once you do that, again, your meal is $19. And I think a lot of the combos don't include them anymore for that reason, you know, and it's, um, I don't know where it goes from here, <laughs> but what, what I will say is I think that what you probably are going to see now is maybe less menu board bundles and more digital versions of it that come through your app or your loyalty. And if you don't, have that you may never see a discount again <laughs> you know i don't know what that means for the future but um that's kind of seems to be where we're headed i think there's an interesting point in that and how many for you personally how many different restaurant apps do you have on your phone i think i had so my situation is a little weird because we don't have a lot of qsrs near where i live because we have a drive-through ordinance so you can't have one but with that said um i have the app of every one i possibly could have so i think i have about five of them i think five or six that's i have i only have one and that's because i just got back from vacation um and i downloaded it specifically uh to I, I ran across a, a restaurant called Rusty Taco and I've never been, but it's always been across from my sister's house. So I downloaded the app um, because if I can order online or order on an app, I'm more than likely to do that and walk up and grab the bag and go than yeah. you know, stand in line or anything like that. Right. Let's see. I'm going to count them. <laughs> okay. So, and, and I, that is why I download them too. Um, I download them not for discounts. I'm not that type of consumer, I guess, even though not that I don't like saving money, but I download them so I can order ahead and pick up. Um, that is That for me is the best quick service experience on earth. <laughs> Four, five. Okay, I have like eight of them actually. But, but, I, but I'm also not normal because I want to try them a lot of times just so that I can have a concept of whether or not I think they work well or not. But um, but generally speaking, I would imagine that people have less than three. I would think so. I mean, I I remember the days where Subway did the the stamps. They had like the print off stamps that you licked and you stuck on a card to get the, yep. the reward sandwich. Um, yep, those, but now, those were the days. <laughs> those were the days, right? But now it's all app based, and you're you're doing points. And when I was 
going through Iowa and we stopped at a McDonald's, there was um, like so many points gave you like a fries, so many points gave you a drink. And like, um, I guess I hadn't really realized that we had gone so much into a point system. I knew that some apps were like, hey, if you download our app, I'll give you a new fries today or pushed um, interesting new products or, or um, when Papa John's launched their... I think it was when they launched their stuff crust, they gave early access to people who were their loyalty members. Um, right. So deals that kind of way. But I didn't know there was a reward. We'd gotten to the point where people were doing rewards from like a point based system. And- oh yeah. I could, I mean, I could rant on that for a while to me, point based um, loyalty programs are mostly lazy, but um, I've talked to people who develop loyalty programs about this. And normally it's just because it's the easiest thing to build. <laughs> but they don't really inspire true loyalty. And I think you have to have enormous frequency for them to make any sense. You know, like, of course, if you're Starbucks and you're talking about your, your frequency is basically a routine for most people or a habit, then it makes sense, you know, but even for them, I mean, they've made it pretty difficult to actually redeem anything. So most of it and made a lot of people very angry. Right. I know. And then Duncan, Duncan basically did the same thing before that, you know, and, um, Someone else, I think Chipotle did that now recently too. So I think, I think they're banking on that. I think what they're finding is that type of customer who, who is looking to redeem points is not really a core user, you know, so they're not overly worried about them. They're trying to get that person who wants the exclusive uh, look at the Papa John's pizza before it comes out. (laughs) You know, that's the better guess, I guess. I, I don't know. It's a weird deal. It's, it's the, other, the other thing I've also seen is the the rise of the subscription model. Yeah. Um, yeah Panera yeah. has the subscription coffee. Yeah, which is awesome if you're into that. <laughs> one, of, one of our employees has it. She goes there every single morning at, um, she just told us this today, actually. She goes there every single morning at 630 and uses it. So it's a great program for her, for sure. She's clearly a loyal customer, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure who else, um, you know, I know Burger King tried that many years ago and it didn't really work. You know, they did it with coffee too. McAllister's has a, a tea pass of some sort. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Which is cool. Can, so it's, maybe it's all beverage. Maybe it only, maybe that model only wins with beverages. I'm not sure. We'll have to see how that, progressive is going to subscriptions for everything so how does that infiltrate qsr yeah well we're gonna i guess we'll find out i think in i think from full service restaurants i i see it a lot now especially like with they got beer programs and things like that you know because you're sort of using experience as your loyalty draw and it makes some sense there but i think you know a, a lot of these brands they're hoping to attach food onto that Thing that they're subscribing you to <laughs> so if you're if you're trying to attach a drink to food and a subscription it's probably harder but i also i don't i don't know i mean i'm not a marketer <laughs> my guess like, is it's like the the kohl's model where they're doing amazon returns if i can get you in the store you're more right. likely to buy something else with it True. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the lures of subscription programs that you can't do it for delivery and things like that. 
although they have subscription programs too. So the, the whole world is complicated. <laughs> you know, I've got, I'm trying to, I always try to check on my phone to make sure like I didn't sign up for subscriptions of things that I didn't realize, you know, I got like seven of them going at once for $3 a month, but it, you know, it happens. I've got this, uh, this noggin thing that's like brain games for three-year-olds that's about it. <laughs> Currently. There's an app for that too that'll tell you all your different subscriptions that you have and help you cancel them. I know. It, may, it makes me feel like an old man. Like I'm, uh, I'm already at that age now where like technology is passing me by and like my kids are gonna make fun of me. Like I'm already, <laughs> hit, I'm already hitting that point in my 30s. It's kind of scary. But anyway. Um, you know, Rachel, before I let you go, um, it's been great, by the way. Just want to give you a chance here. Maybe if you want to talk about something that's going on at Curion to kind of keep an eye on, you know, things you have exciting kind of in the pipeline as a company and things you're looking forward to, you know, working on that we might hear more about here in the future. Yeah, I think the, the thing that's most top of mind is the Curion score. So we recently launched Curion score specifically for our QSR clients. Um, here in December of last year, January of this year, before we had only offered it to our um, CPG type clients, uh, those who are doing things in grocery stores and uh, convenience stores and such. Um, so now we have the ability to really help all of our clients without doing any additional testing, understand um, how your product is really doing against you know the category got a new chicken sandwich, want to know how you stack up against all the other chicken sandwiches Curion has ever tested? We can help you do that and, and understand, you know, do you stand up or are there opportunities? And we also have within the Curion score, um, a driver's analysis to help you understand what it is that may be helping you or hurting you from that score perspective. Um, it gives you an additional layer of insights than what you might be getting currently um, with overall liking, purchase intent, and penalty analysis. Right. Gotcha. You know, all, all very cool. And and if somebody wants to reach out or just, you know, learn more and how they can get involved, what's a good place for them to do that? Uh, there is a Curion website that they definitely can look us up um, and we can do all sorts of inbound requests from there. Um, or they can reach out to me directly at rbus at curioninsights.com. Cool. All right. Well, thank you, Rachel. It's been great. Um, we will have to uh, reconvene at some point and maybe see if the chicken sandwich war still exists next year <laughs> or just may, you know, see what the landscape looks like. So I appreciate all your time and insight. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks for having me come. Of course. And for everybody out there who's listening, as always, we appreciate it. And we'll see you next time.